listening to Soul Knox Podcast, and I'm your host, Carl Hikara, and this is episode number 54. And uh, this week on the podcast, I have uh, my friend Konstantin Tonohovi, um, main man behind the Mycelium Signal podcast, as well as uh, one of the co-founders of the Tuonenporti um collective in finland so yes he's based out of finland and uh, the tunin porti collective is essentially centered around the ideas of sacred horror um the genus loci the monstrous soul um all these types of ideas um that uh that um you could find in say the works of richard gavin um and um that uh that, yeah if you go back to that episode of Richard and uh and Nas Alchemist you can hear some of yeah we were talking about some of those ideas uh it's come up here and there in various of the episodes and um yeah Constantine and I get into it in this episode uh pretty deep uh, it's a very very uh in-depth uh, episode about the esoteric and about these ideas of sacred horror uh, the Mysterium Tremendum et Fascinans, all these types of ideas you can find in people like uh, Richard Gavin, Matt Cardin, uh, David Beth, and uh, all these types of types of thinkers that also connects in, as well with the ideas of weird fiction, um, like, uh, you know, horror fiction like Thomas Ligotti, um, of course Richard Gavin's horror work as well. And Matt Cardin as well, and uh, and you know H.P. Lovecraft and all these types of people. So, you know, the uncanny, the sublime, the eerie, and the horrific, and how all these things somehow manage to uh, intertwine. That's what we're talking about on this episode. So yeah, hope you guys enjoy. Uh, it's a very good episode, a very good conversation. I'm going to have Constantine back on here soon. Uh, which will come out later on in the year. Um, and of course, like I said, in my Cellium Signal, um, great podcast. Make sure to check it out. The last episode he had was one with Richard Gavin. And before that, he had one of Nas Alchemist. I definitely uh, shout out the podcast every week. So, yeah, go check it out, you know, and uh, give him your support as well. And, uh, of course, in the uh, show notes, there'll be the description or the link for the Tuan and Porti and all those types of stuff, so you can go check it out. Um, yeah. Um, what else? Uh, so, yeah, so that's what's going on this week. Um, so let's get into the plugs, and we'll get into the episode. So um, uh, part of a podcast gang called the Horsemen of the Podcast Apocalypse. And uh, we are, uh, see, every other Monday you have Horwolf 666 with Brandon Legion. Um, and Brandon and I just did a episode about the Universal Dracula on my Patreon. So check that out. Patreon.com forward slash Solnox Podcast. It's $2 a month. And uh, yeah, get bonus content. It really helps me out a lot, as I do definitely need the help. Um, Tuesdays are Into the Necrosphere with Jackie Schmidt. Um, the best extreme metal podcast out there. 
Wednesdays, you have Everything Went Black with Mike Hill. And, of course, Mike and I do the uh, show uh, Darkness Weaves, split between Soul Knox and, and uh, Everything Went Black. All about the work of Carl Edward Wagner, a writer who could very well fit into the spectrum of the uncanny and weird and all the stuff we talk about in this episode. So there's a lot of connections there, you know. Thursdays, you have Necromaniacs with Mike Hill, Mike Scandato, and Jeff Kashid. Fridays, you have Break the Apocalypse with John Draper. And then I have my, uh, um, I guess, associated podcast, but not part of the uh, Horseman. So you have uh, Cheyenne from Tribex with uh, Iblis Manifestations and the aforementioned Mycelium Signal. So, yeah, check them all out. You can follow everybody on social media. Uh, be sure to rate and review if you can on the podcast stuff. Um, you can find me under my name on social media, or you can follow me at Denver Underground Radio. And uh, Denver Underground Radio is the online radio station that I run, and uh, we have shows every Tuesday and Thursday, uh, both of which start at 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 9 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. And we have uh, my show Darklands on Tuesdays, which is black metal, death metal, dark ambient, etc. And on Thursdays, you have uh, the upstairs room with uh, my friend Ken, and we do dark wave, goth, uh, post-punk, etc. And, um, yeah, check all that out. Follow us on uh, Denver Grand Radio, denvergrandradio.com. Like I said before, um, if you like the podcast, please uh, consider joining the Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash soul knocks podcast. $2 a month, so it's not too much. You know, cheaper than a cup of coffee. Helps me out, though. Um, and, uh, yeah, grenade doing two to four ep- bonus episodes a month. And I have my Dracula series going on right now. Like I said before, the last one was with Brandon. So, yeah. And I'll have even more for the uh, Patreon coming up. Um, so yeah, let's go ahead and get into the episode. So yeah, like I said, with Constantine, the tour no hovi. And, um, I hope you guys enjoy. Hail Satan.
Yeah, just uh, tell me then. Okay. Um, well, for, I wanted to thank you for coming on the podcast, Constantine. Um, and welcome to welcome to Solanox. <laughs> thank you, thank you for the invitation. Yeah, definitely. When you um, when we started, particularly when I found out about your about your podcast and about um, about kind of what you what you're doing with uh with with your with your collective and everything um like basically from when you uh invited um nos onto the podcast he told me about you guys and sent me your um episode with um uh dr um what's it uh dr uh, martin locker martin locker yep and um i listened to that and then um uh really like that and then yeah he told me that you're doing episodes with richard and with himself and then you know Obviously, the Richard one, the one with Richard's out, and that one's great. And I probably the one with 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 Nas is going to be out uh, be, when this goes up, so people can go listen to those episodes. They're both like really, really great, you know. And um, yeah, and uh, so once we started once we started communicating, I was like, yeah, I gotta I gotta get you on the podcast because we have a lot a lot of common interests, you know. Yeah, th- thank thank you. It was very interesting to hear that uh, you had already heard the um, um, episode with Martin Locker. It was actually the inaugural episode of the Muslim Signal. Yeah, I had heard that. Um, I think, uh, yeah, I think probably it was right around the time that you you asked asked Nas to come on because he sent me sent me the Martin Locker one. So yeah. Uh, and I really like that. I mean, I never heard of 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 Dr. Mark Locker before, but um, like his um, what he's talking about in that episode was really interesting. And um, I guess like um, maybe we can start off with um, just giving people like um, introduction, like to wh- where you're coming from, and then we can get into into some of that stuff because i mean obviously like most of the things you talk about on your podcast kind of relate around these certain types of topics but um i was curious like what so you have a, your collective is um is um tool tool and 40 right is that yes that's, that's a that's a basically translated to the to netherworld gate right uh, that, yeah. that's basically it the Tony is like a, a Finnish mythological personification or deity of death, and uh, Tuonela is uh, like basically netherworld, and Tuonen Porti me- means basically the netherworld gate, because uh, uh, Tuoni is also referring to the netherworld as well. But basically, <laughs> it quite quite uh, sums up. Uh, basically everything our collective is about if you catch my drift right it's all there in the name you're about creating a gate to the uh, to the underworld essentially right yeah and uh, also I, I should mention that um, of course gate is liminal and uh, we are all about the liminal it's basically kind of uh, the catch all encup all encompassing uh, term which um, kind of grasps many of the topics we are going to discuss today yeah, it's like the idea of the uh, the luminal gateway between between this this level of reality and and the others and um and the underworld. And uh, what when did you um like so you collective you formed it and was it's, I think it says twenty twenty right? Yeah, it was and, in in late twenty twenty, and uh, we 
we have been working for at least uh, two uh, two years and, and eight months now, and uh, we have released lots of uh, visual art, art and uh, all kinds of uh, text format uh, material as well. And our latest project has been our YouTube channel, including this uh, Muslim Signal podcast. Some of the podcasts are in Finnish, but uh, I think in the future there will be more uh, English language material because that is the direction we are going. We are going international, so to speak, because there's so many interesting um, persons abroad, such right. as Rikat Kevin and uh, Nas Alkamet from Oculus, which right. have interviewed. Right, yeah. So it's kind of like, so yeah, the first two years, it kind of been more focused on uh, the collective in sense of in in Finland. Like, um, when did when did you kind of um, like what kind of led up to the creation of the collective? Um, oh, that's a very good question. Thank you. Um, basically, I'm now forty five years old, and I have devoted most of my so called uh, conscious life to all of these topics, uh, say the liminal. And uh, I, I might say that <laughs> when I was very young, I was, of course, interested, like Richard Gavin, in uh, horror stories and mythological creatures and whatnot. And that, of course, eventually led to the world of the occult and the esoteric. And uh, basically, I would say that uh, personally, um, the Netherworld Gate Collective and the Muslim signals, Signal is uh, my magnum opus. It is my great work. And everything I have done before has led to this point in time which the collective was formed. And uh, it was interesting that uh, uh, the co-founder of the gate, uh, Finnish uh, visionary artist Karita, also had had kind of idea to form an artist collective, and I myself had an idea to form a kind of an esoteric or occult uh, collective, which, which would also um, also deal with uh, visionary art. And then I contacted uh, Karita because of some uh, Facebook posts she had made, which had something to do with, I believe, visionary art process. And uh, I just asked uh, some question from her and uh, her answer was so interesting that uh, I we got into discussion and uh, pretty soon uh, it came clear that uh, we both had this idea of a collective and uh, then it kind of got from there and um, this has been something I have been personally um, thinking for many many years now so it 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 wasn't like uh, it 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 didn't it didn't start uh, in late 2020, but it was like uh, um, the culmination point. And uh, afterwards, it has been a it has been a really really like a hectic uh, almost three years now. And uh, it it doesn't show any signs of stopping anytime soon. Well, yeah. I mean, hopefully, I mean, I guess like your probably your hope would be to create this kind of collective that'll last, you know, as long as you're alive, essentially, you know what I mean? If not past that, so the... Yes. Yeah, something to, and, something, uh, something for all time. Yes, and I, I would add that um, about the structure of the collective, normally when you have 
kind of uh, collectives, orders and whatnot in the esoteric world, uh, they tend to be quite uh, strict or rigid, you know, hierarchical. And uh, we are different because um, they are, we as uh, co-founders are in, we are basically, how would you say, like uh, CEOs of the gate. And uh, we have a, a large um, network we call the Mycelium. Uh, of uh, people all over the world who, with whom we do all kinds of cooperation and uh, um, projects together. And um, some of them uh, will go, come and go, and some of them are more lasting members of the Muslim network. And uh, it has been really exhilarating to meet lots of interesting um, colleagues all over the world, such as you and Nas and Ricard Gavin, for example, and Martin Locker, of course. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's what's a cool, cool aspect of what you're doing is, um, I mean, in some ways, like I kind of had this experience with um, starting uh, Soul Knox. It's like you kind of create this thing that you put out in the world, and and then somehow, you know, it kind of seems like these forces kind of attract, like the like, you know, um, begin attracting like the the people that that are on the same page you know what i mean like um and i think with the way kind of you're doing your collective that's very uh very apt because it's like you put out this type of uh you, you know energy and uh um and kind of vision right and there's going to be other people all over the world who are going to be drawn to that and you know cooperate and work together with you you know yeah, most definitely. I find it extremely exhilarating to kind of uh, continue this lifelong project of mine. I think uh, somebody, maybe it was Timothy Leary or somebody <laughs> before that, he said something like this, find the others. And if you think about uh, the other in the concept of Rudolf Otto's Numinos, which we are going to discuss further um, with Further in this episode, I think it's a very fitting uh, saying to find the others. Yeah, I agree definitely. One thing that that um, I've been pretty pretty amazed about is the, uh, the sigil for your for for yes. uh, Tuonen Porti is uh, very similar to to the sigil for the pot for this podcast. So <laughs> yeah, it was it was really. Uh, do you want to? Um, expand upon that yourself or do you want to me to comment first yeah i mean i'll give, give well i mean when you sent that to me i was pretty pretty amazed um and some of the ideas are con connected like with yours it's more of um the sigil of the of the gate and the kind of thing on the other side like right like kind of um the other side looking through this gate um with this kind of the yeah, eye or... the eye yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, the eye, which which of course, like in both ours, the shape of the eye also represents. Um, like, I, for me, I always saw the shape of the eye of my sigil, um, having that similar type of idea connection with like the the eye, the vulva, and the the mouth. You know, all these three things kind of somehow connect together, right? And um, yeah, and I think it's similar in yours as well. Like, it has that same look, um, similar. You know, and now, yeah, for my for the soul Knox, it's it's very much a presentation of this kind of uh draconian eye in the void or you know this kind of others other 
side type of um type of thing it's also very representative of the daemon in a way from for my work like the demonic self you know yes uh because i do think that when i came up with the the sigil for that i'm using for, for soul and ox um i was probably like 15 or something <laughs> like 15 or 16 i was in like some kind of trance state and drawing and um this the sigil these certain shapes and forms kept coming and eventually it turned into this um this uh this the sigil um originally it was partially um like uh almost like two pyramids like stacked on each other and i in between which i saw yes. as representing like the above and the below like this kind of eye in the center you know what i mean um and as time's gone on, it's kind of evolved with um, kind of like a um, black sun type of element to it that I've uh, that I've found with this kind of um, a lot of times I add the uh, almost solar wheel type of forms at the end to represent that this is kind of like a, a spinning type of newness uh, force, you know, like. Um, yeah, the black sun behind the sun type of type of idea, which is why um, when particularly when it's within the circle, that's how for my for my pot for my sigil, like when it's within the circle, it's representing that force within the black sun, which is kind of at the center of the void. But um, yeah, I think it has a lot of reference as well to the ideas that you guys have with the, the liminal and and the other side and all this stuff as well. It's like all connected, you know. Yes, it's it's un uncanny and a bit eerie if you think, uh, because uh, our uh, sigil uh, came in a kind of a visionary process, like a bit by bit, and uh, I also did uh, like a kind of uh, um, alternative version by using this mirror lab uh, mirroring program in, with with my cell phone, and uh, the two two versions of our sigil really. Um, have this similar structures and idea that yours and uh, it's so interesting how the art mutates like i think uh, happened in your case as well you know it wasn't like a clear cut it was like a amalgam of uh, different um, themes and uh, motifs yeah it developed over time like you know when i was and i think my understanding of it developed over time you know like when when i was 16 i was just kind of no, I was already had already been engaged with like certain like um spiritual things at that point, right? But around the time I was sixteen, seventeen was when I had like the spiritual experience that kind of kicked everything off. Like um I was in this kind of trance state and um I had this vision of uh uh it was like a dark forest essentially, like this dark, like kind of it very much like a Scandinavian type of sacred grove, you know? And yes. it was all dark and shadowed. And in the back, there was this kind of shadow hooded form who then turned to me and he had one eye and stared into me. And it was like, uh, essentially like Wotan, you know, Odin, like kind of um, awakening within me, essentially. And it was like this experience was very like um, electrifying, like very like intense, numinous, like kind of demonic experience. And from that point on, it was around the same time I... I um, I really got into black metal and um, just kind of really shaped my whole spiritual journey, right? And so I kind of came up with a sigil 
almost a little bit before that when I was just beginning that process, you know, like kind of engaging with certain types of spiritual things and then having that experience and continuing to use the sigil over time, um, you know, as I developed and grew in my path and my understanding of the kind of demonic side of things like um, my understanding of the sigil and the sigil kind of, kind of, you know, slowly kind of transformed into kind of what I would call more of a more or less this kind of final shape. Um, but, you know, there are variations, you know, like the version for the podcast is a kind of um, a more simplified like type of version of it in a way, you know, like I wanted a yes. bit more striking um, version for the podcast, like um, very like simple with like just like the, the white on black, like kind of, um, you know, um, just very striking like type of type of imagery you know but yeah i think it definitely de comes through time and develops through time you know yeah i find it especially interesting that uh, i think uh, both of our seals or sigils have this kind of uh, concept that there is something liminal for example the gate or the pyramids and uh, there is something uh, staring or or coming through the portal so to speak and i think like you said yourself and i think that that's a very good notion that it is the diamond which is speaking through the gate or through the pyramids through the liminal uh, yeah. portal you know yeah well i have a um a painting that i did um which one of the ver the very first like version that i put up like when i first put up the podcast i had a version of this sigil which um is actually only part of one of one painting where which um is on my my accounts and stuff my my art account so i'll have to show it i'll have to show you but it's basically like a sigil of it's um a like kind of uh hooded like kind of you know like you know a cult you know magician or whatever you know like kind of like um like in trance and and at the center like basically where his solar plexus is is the sigil you know what i mean like and and the black sun which is which is um basically stating like that's kind of where in a lot of ways i see these this forces coming from like like um you have to drop your consciousness down into the self to connect with this this type of force you know like it's not it's not higher it's not like out in the ether it's when you when you descend your consciousness down within yourself is when you find connect with this type of draconian you know demonic self you know yes and um as represented in this painting i did um which yeah i think that i think that that's a very important distinction with with certain types of practices as opposed to others where it's like uh, for me i perceive the connection to this force as being within you know yeah i i find a great value that um the occultist or the esotericist however you wish to praise it um uh, has this kind of an artistic output, which is original, you know. I think it's psychologically very um, good idea to express yourself like that and not just use some ready-made or like known symbols, you know. You really get deep when you're, you are creating something yourself uh, and not to be a, like a spectator, you know. Yeah, definitely. And I'm also, also a big believer in and create as much as possible, creating your own, you know, in ritual um, items or your own, you know, things like, um, like, you know, like 
for me, I have a paint like um, I would make paintings that I turn into altar pieces. You know what I mean? Like and and stuff like this. And I think that that putting yourself into these things as opposed to just going and buying like something off the internet is <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, as much as possible. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I mean, there are certain things that I'll buy, like, um, like uh, certain types of altar cloths or something that I that I would struggle to make myself. But um, if if I can find a good one, or uh, but yeah, for most part, like I just I like to create my own things, and that actually kind of relates to something that which I'm very very impressed by, which is your uh, your your pit you know like the pictures you sent oh. me of that is amazing like this this creation of this liminal magical space that you've done like is is a great example of that you know yeah um i think uh, <laughs> i should do a, some kind of uh, introduction for the pit which is now eight years old uh basic <laughs> basically to to give your listeners some idea and I have talked about, a lot about this in my podcast, but we have a different uh, audience, so it doesn't matter in this case, I think. So basically, um, our family cottage is situated in, in southern Finland, and uh, I think this plot is around uh, 100 years old now. And I mean, the first structure over it in the plot was around 100 years now. And uh, there was this... Um, kind of a summer cottage or some kind of, uh, you know, uh, not a living cottage, but some, some somewhere that people used to spend some time in the summers, I think. Uh, in, and it was in the lower, lower part of the plot. And uh, the house was red. And when I was a child, it was no longer in any kind of uh, uh, normal use. My grandmother used to... Um, I don't remember the English term for this, but uh, he used to make uh, chewies from berries in there. And um, there was also this attic, and uh, the attic was a uh, very, it was like straight out of some horror movie because it was so like run down and a uh, bit creepy when I was a child. But I used to spend time there because it was so exciting place. And um, in the, when I was a bit older, the, floor had collapsed on the old cottage and there was this big hole in the ground it was it really looked very like a sinister if you if you can imagine like a two to three hours uh, of length of a, a hole which, which there is complete like darkness <laughs> and maybe it, it was some kind of a, like a, a premonition for things to come but basically uh, in around uh, nine years ago my father had had this uh, whole old uh, house demolished because it it was beginning to be too like um, how would you say uh, it, it it was about to collapse on itself and for example if some some people would go there for example the neighbors kids or something and uh, if it would collapse on them then I believe it would be during uh, because of the Finnish laws the owner of the land would be responsible. So it was the responsible thing to just uh, demolish the old building, and which we did. And then there was this uh, just basically um, ruins 
with uh, all kinds of debris on the ground. And the whole lower plot was run with all kinds of uh, weeds. So it wasn't uh, like a very hospitable place anyway. And uh, at some point, uh, my two, two of my friends were here in the cottage and we were having some kind of like a uh, party here. And uh, at some night, I, I mean, it, it, it was a nighttime, uh, I went to the, to the ruins of the old cottage and I digged a duck uh, like a small hole in the ground to make a fireplace you know and my uh, then I invited my friends over there and I said we can just uh, like a uh, hang out with, with the fireplace but the goddamn fireplace didn't the fire didn't lit up because uh, I forgot forgot to uh, give it enough oxygen from the ground below if you catch my drift i yeah. was maybe a bit drunk or something <laughs> like we finnish people um, sometimes are in the weekends <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my my friend who was uh, he was uh, like a woodsman so to speak he 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 was very experienced in that sense he just uh, nonchalantly commented that uh, Constantine, your fire doesn't get any oxygen that's the reason it it, it doesn't uh, like uh, light up and uh, i was of course embarrassed because i was i was such an idiot i didn't remember that oxygen part of the fire and uh, then they just uh, went to sleep at the cottage and i i had some drinks with myself and i was brooding because of my mistake and uh, i had just said to my friend that uh, mark my words i will create the goddamn most atavistic fireplace you have ever seen and <laughs> it was just, just a joke and then i picked up my shovel again and i went to the went to the hole which is basically uh, what the pit would be called later and i'm uh, sorry i mean the pit is what what i was going to call the hole afterwards the fireplace right. hole and um, I, then I dug, dug up some more and um, I got the goddamn fire going. I, I used this Dakota fire pit uh, method, you might know. And, uh, and I just uh, spent some uh, quality time with myself in the night with the fire. And it was, it was like a kind of a remedy for the, for the scorching <laughs> failure before. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, after a couple of days, I went back to the back to the small pit fireplace pit and uh, i dug some more and then it completely got out of fucking hand <laughs> I, I i mean like uh, i uh, sooner than not i understood that i had actually unearthed the actual stone foundation of the old cottage and uh, then i noticed that i have this kind of uh, ritual space with some kind of uh, very very uh, shamanistic or atavistic altar and uh, I just kept continuing it, and at some point, I think the genius loci, the spirit of the place, or my diamond, or whatever, uh, just got hold of me, and uh, it it really like uh, flew out of proportion. And nowadays, the the pit is around uh, maybe 30 to 80 square meters in diameter. I mean, all the places which has altars and uh, sanctuaries. And it's basically the whole half of the our goddess plot is kind of part of the um, pit now. And I have had many, many interesting um, personal magical 
experience is there and a small number of people have participated also in uh, Tibet rituals and it has been one of the most powerful experiences I have ever had in my life. Yeah, so, that's, yes. an, that's amazing. Yeah, like you've kind of been able to create your own like um, your own ritual space like in the woods, like, you know, like your own temple in a way, you know, your temple to the uh, dark liminal, you know, side yes. of things. And maybe it's both the Genesis Ukai and your daemon together, you know, it's like, yes, I think. Some, I think sometimes they coalesce uh, together. It's it's quite a weird phenomenon, but uh, uh, I, I I should say that at point, at some points I have kind of uh, hit a dead end, so to speak. I mean, I, ha I haven't I haven't got any uh, new ideas how to continue the project. And then I think I'll always enter some kind of incubation phase. And then at some point, I just get a small hint of what I should be doing next, maybe in a dream or something. And then I just pick up my trusty shovel and uh, embark to the pit again. And I have probably spent like uh, tens and tens and tens of hours digging the place and moving stones and whatnot. It has been very grueling work, but it has been uh, like uh, ecstatic in the sense that uh, I have kind of gone over my own physical limitations and and what and some points the physical um, exhaustion and maybe the mental too uh, has been so powerful that I have almost got into this kind of uh, like a fever like state because I have been so like used up by the pit and uh, after the next next day I have felt like I, I have got like a beaten up or something like every every part of my body hurts and I, I think I have I, I'm near like uh, collapsing some some like a part of my spine or something because you really don't give a damn when you are in the uh, kind of uh, divine madness if you catch my drift oh yeah definitely yeah I understand what you mean exactly it's like um you and um you and nas were talking about this on um on the episode that you could do with him where it's like um you know you're like getting to state where you forget to eat you forget to, you yes. know you forget you're like you do all this stuff i mean i definitely know that that feeling like um when you know um when you get into this kind of creative state like um like i have a lot of uh old um uh, demos that I'm about to start re releasing, some black metal demos, and um, uh, back particularly in that period of time, like I like I would literally just like you know get home from work and be up until you know two in the morning or something, like working on music, like until and then finally I like oh I have to go to sleep because I have to go to work tomorrow, like you know like you're like just getting these like states and um that like and like it's funny too because at certain certain points you do reach those point where maybe you um you you feel like you're just possessed like you know what you create like you don't even realize why you're creating it and sometimes you know like it's like you kind of um understand better later on sometimes you know like because yes. you get into this kind of um flow state where you're just just doing you just like acting at the prompting of the daemon you know like this is how i tried to do all my art as well like generally when i paint like i don't um I, I might have like a vague vision in my head of like the of the image i want to create sometimes but other times i allow the daemon to speak 
and the art will come out and it'll be something you know that that has like a genuine like kind of connection to the demonic side of things and uh yeah i try to approach almost everything i do that way like lyrics or writings i do like um i write in this way and music and whatever else and it's kind of like the power behind that too particularly when you say writing writing lyrics for example is that there's a lot of things i've written that later on like i understand better like there's certain things i've written and um about certain subjects that i didn't necessarily know that much about when i wrote those lyrics right and then later yes. on when i know i and that actually prompted me to explore like what is this what does this mean like that i wrote you know i just wrote this thing does it actually mean something and then you've kind of come to find out that yeah i mean it's like strictly i wrote a, an album that had a lot of alchemical kind of imagery in it which i kind of understood on this kind of intuitive like deeper level like what i was doing like the symbol symbol symbols i was using like made sense but but i then it prompted me to go and spend a couple years literally like just researching alchemy like uh, you know, I read everything that Young wrote about alchemy. You know, I wrote Hermetic Tradition by Julius Zavola. I wrote, you know, read everything I could find, get my hands on alchemy, right? And and then then when I go back to those lyrics they wrote, they make even more sense, you know? <laughs> yes, this is a fascinating topic that uh, we have called in the gate. I'm trying to uh, think of a proper translation. But uh, yeah, I think it's basically to act according to script in the sense that uh, something has been done before i mean like uh, there is your future self and it has left some kind of like a breadcrumbs so and you follow them and uh, you probably don't always know what you're doing but it sometimes feels that there is a like a this kind of uh, a manifest uh, destiny. I, I think that might relate to some kind of political stuff too, but uh, I, the words manifest and destiny works very well here and they forget about any political connotations. I wasn't going for that, but uh, yeah, I, I know what you mean. Yes. Yeah, I think, I do think the daemon, um, I do think there's an aspect to that where uh, I know that um, the author Michael Kelly and his kind of draconian. Um, apophis system um he talks about the daemon at times being a little bit ahead of you and you're you know like it's like the da daemonic self like is is actually maybe ahead of you in you know in some ways you know like and it's kind of leading you into the proper direction like when you're in tune of your daemon you're walking in the, you're moving in the correct direction in your life and and you'll have these types of events like that where um where uh you you're given a little breadcrumbs like you said and then you uh it kind of reinforces that you're on the right direction i also um i also see that feeling of deja vu as representing this anytime i have deja vu i feel like this sense that i'm on the right path you know what i mean yes i i definitely know and uh, it's interesting that uh, it's like uh, you get a first-hand experience of something and uh, i'm speaking meta speaking like uh, rhetorically here i think um, for example i have heard this phenomenon many many times before from my colleagues that 
that somebody thinks that uh, they have found something like a uh, pretty unique something which is unique to them you know because they don't dare to think that uh, this is actually like a like a worldwide phenomenon so to speak and then only later they find uh, another people who have had this similar uh, technique or method or you know uh, type of thing themselves and then you really start to understand that this really is some kind of weird weird phenomenon which which it's really happening but of course it doesn't happen to everybody i think it's 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 quite rare but it's still a thing if it gets my drift yeah definitely and i think that you know for me personally i never really had the idea i always try to stay away from the idea of like i feel like it's kind of an ego idea to be like oh like i'm the only person who does this you know what i mean like because yeah. because reality is that if you're actually tapping into a genuine numinous type of source of inspiration right like then there should be other people who independently also have the same things and that's always been my experience you know like i mean what we just talked about with our sigils for example or or so many other things where it's like um when you're genuinely like having true like communication with demonic forces or true communication with your daemon or with these numinous levels of reality uh numinous experiences um if there should if it's a real like experience um communication if you know what i mean like it should it should be other people who have that same thing because that almost just like i think verifies and validates that your experience that you're having is 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 very very much real because other people are also tapping into this independently on their own selves you know what i mean yes uh, yes and i i should clarify myself a bit that uh, the people i was talking about and myself like uh, what i've heard is that uh, uh, in this path so to speak uh, at at cer- certain point maybe when people are younger uh, they haven't uh, met anybody who is like themselves and that is ba- basically um like being in a desert or being like in some kind of famine or yeah. being in some kind of diaspora that's not a, like a good thing it's a desperate thing and i was referring to that and not like uh, i have invented something magical myself and nobody else has understood it because that's also another thing but i was referring to this kind of um, uh, like uh, being in the desert okay yeah yeah. yeah, but yeah. but that, that, that's a good. We got the two interesting concepts out at the same price, so to speak. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but I, I understand. Yes. Yeah, no, and I definitely understand that too because um, that's definitely how I felt for a long time. I mean, when I started, uh, I started my path. Like, I mean, I really only had a couple, like a couple friends who were on, you know, both like involved with with these types of things, and who I'm still friends with to this day. And but that's pretty much it. And you know, like particularly like my own type of type of spiritual um, thing that that kind of have developed over the years. Um, You know, like it's only been more recently that I met more people who are kind of on a, on a similar page. You know what I mean? Definitely. And that's, that's like uh, the whole project uh, I have been on for at least uh, I would say some 30 years now. And it's accelerating that uh, we are now, now have the opportunity to have this kind of uh, kind of a global uh, reach and uh, global interaction. And for example, uh, with Miscellium Signal and uh, Solnox, your podcast and whatever other 
colleagues' podcasts are out there. This is really like uh, doing the mycelium network, creating yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, and it's great, and you know, like, um, you know, and hope hopefully there'll be people who hear this who will be interested and go and uh, and check out the mycelium signal, and you know, I mean, like, and it'll kind of all connect, you know, like, and I think that the more that gets out there, the more they're going to find those people who connect with the, with the message, you know. Um, yes. The, One yeah. thing actually came to my mind. I hope I didn't intersect here, no, uh, no, interrupt you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. One interesting theme. I'm, I already <laughs> written it down because I think you also find it interesting. Is that um, let let me say that um, these kind of topics, for example, catabases and tectonic genius loci, uh, monstrum, the monster anomaly, the other daimon, numinos, and uh, for, and the main topic which we are going to discuss now is uh, the sacred horror, which is directly related to the Numinos, the Mysterium Tremendum. I think uh, this kind of stuff uh, in the occult sphere is quite rare, don't you think? Yeah, I would I would say so. I don't... I feel like um, it's an uh, undercurrent that um, I think, uh, you know... There's been people probably talking about it, maybe, um, but not like in a in a greater sense. Like there is, like you know, I think particularly the work like um, David Beth and Theon have been doing with publishing like Richard Gavin's books and uh, you know, um, Hold of the Black Cube and things like this are kind of like the beginning. Like this one, the first times you really see people like you know reading. Benighted Path of Richard Gavin was one of the first uh, times I really heard read somebody like put all this together in in this this way, and it really connected with me because it's like what he's talking what he's talking about with Benighted Path was essentially was like all the things that uh, I am fascinated by rolled up into one, and and also like at that point in my path, um, I was kind of like getting out of a of a dark of a of a very like kind of rough like you know period of time and reconnecting more with um i kind of was was reconnecting more with certain aspects of, of my spirituality that connect to even back when i first started like the kind of things that you that when you when you're like don't have a lot of information and you're going at this like just directly right you know what i mean like and you're just trying to connect with these demonic forces and and the nature and everything and and like i think there's like a purity to that to those types of experiences if you got at it a certain way right and and then maybe after time you start reading like enough things and it starts you know mudding the waters or whatever and then you kind of have like a period of clarification right and that's what i was going through at this time when i found benighted path was clarification and a reorienting of my path to the things that spoke most deeply to my daemon, which in particular has to relate to the idea of the chthonic and the idea of the monstrous soul, as he talks about, um, and and definitely the idea of sacred horror, which I think relates very much like I remember the very first time I had an experience um, like this idea of a sacred horror I've had, you know, like when I first started my path, a lot of times I would go out into nature and do these really like, long hikes and get in these like trance states and connect with nature and everything. And, 
I had some of these types of experiences with that, with connecting with these ancient, like kind of nature forces, you know what I mean? That, that they're Janus Loci essentially that few of those were very like scary in a way because it was like connecting with an unhuman consciousness. Right. You know, yes. and, um, because when you're dealing with the Janus Loci, like these forces out in nature, when particularly when you go out deep into nature where there's not a lot of humanity and it's very much untamed kind of nature, um, you have these experiences sometimes where you connect to these forces that are very unhuman and, and it can be very terrifying feeling. Um, and that was one, some of the first experiences I had, but it was like, you know, it's terrifying and, and kind of a good way too, because it's very, you know, like we're talking about a sacred horror, it actually connects you more with this kind of liminal state and this kind of numinous feeling. And I remember one of the first times too, later on where I had, I, um, I really started attempting to do communication with demonic forces. And I had a experience of this entity um, who uh, in, like, well, not named just because it's uh, something that, that I agreed to. But um, when I had this experience with this force, like the feeling when I, that feeling that came out was like a tense sense of, you could sense the, when an entity that's very powerful and you, and you connect, it creates this, sacred horror you know what i mean like if you can feel this sense of dread and then you kind of overcome that and then there's this ecstasis and this communication and with this force you know and i feel like that's been my experience almost every time with genuine spirit communication you know very fascinating this brings to my mind uh, nazi's oculus uh, album uh, melino and his lyrics for example and of course, but uh, Richard Gavin has said himself about sacred horror and also my own and my colleagues' experiences in this field. This really resonates with me. I, I know what you're, you're talking about, definitely. And I think th this is, um, let me say that um, about this um, interconnectedness, because I really, I, I would put my head on a stake that there definitely is an interconnectedness. Let's say those uh, topics again, for example, the catabasis, antectonic, genius loci, monstrum, diamond, nominos, and the holy other. And uh, I'm, uh, I would be as bold as to say that uh, I have found out some of the, some parts of the connection. Do, do you think I'm, I'm, I'm onto something or am I just uh, going nuts over here? <laughs> No, I I think you're onto something. I think all those things are very intimately connected, you know, like uh um and it's all part of part of a, a kind of this kind of alter you know, this whole path is 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 definitely something that um is for real. And and like the idea of the catabasis, for example, you're talking about like earlier I was saying that when you go inside go down into the self is where i think you can really connect with the daemon daemon like the the eye of you know the eye, eye of the dragon type of idea like it's within the self uh because the gateway to the to the liminal is within the self i think that we all carry this kind of nexion this like gateway like with deep within our bodies our bodies are our tool to connect with these forces you know and yes and so i think the catabasis is going getting a trans state and descending into yourself essentially where the gateway to the to these others the other side is you know um in um slavic like i have a book called slavic sorcery and in that book the um, this guy was teaching that uh 
when you drop your consciousness within down into like your solar plexus, right? The way to see the other side is to then imagine you're looking behind yourself from that that space. It's kind of a hard thing to explain, but it's like you're really dropping consciousness as if you're seeing like your head drops down to your stomach essentially, and then you look behind and you see these um this the and what that means is that's how you see the other world, right? Yeah. And ecstasis. Yeah, like exactly. being beside yourself. Yeah, and and that also relates to the idea of the headless one, you know, like and the idea of yeah. like uh, Asafal, you know, like with Batal, yeah. you know, with Batai, you know, it's like um, in uh, Asafal, there's a very big thing about having the headless one, which um, of course Richard Gavin goes on about in uh, in Infernal Mask, and that's part of how I how I interpret this idea is that on a spiritual level and med meditation level, you're dropping your head down into yourself. So you're basically, you know, you're decapitating yourself of this kind of conscious ego self and dropping it into the, into the numinous, like solar plexus, you know, soul knocks, you know, and then from yeah. there, that's where you find the gateway to their side, which is the catabasis, which leads us to the connection with these forces. And, you know, yeah, this is really very, this is, so fascinating that I can see like uh, many manifold kind of streams or or traits like forming before me like a uh, different subtopics we could get into it so it's a bit hard to concentrate and stay <laughs> at the track because but that that's always a good idea that's like a part of the um, mycelium so to speak but one thing I would remark that um, I think I find it endlessly important and and something which is not done enough in the modern occult sphere, I would say that, uh, for example, if you think about catabasis, uh, it has there's lots of uh, reference in the world mythologies and the psychology. It's uh, like something which really definitely is pragmatic. It's it's tactile, you know. And the genius loci, it it has like all eight old traditions all over the world. For example, and diamond from the ancient Greek, Greece, and uh, the Numinos, that's from the world of uh, religious studies from Rudolf Otto. And I think uh, if people learn about the etymology of the world, words and they really like uh, put in some kind of at least pragmatic academic research into these kind of topics, uh, they, they are kind of better grounded than if everything would be too like, uh, how would you say, um, if one, one would make things up in their head, which is sometimes a good thing, but uh, I would think it, I would think it's in, important to know the basics, like and then deviate after that. If you catch my drift, yeah, definitely. And one thing I was going to say too is that I feel like a lot of these ideas. I mean, we're talking, we're getting into a very uh, primeval state of you know, like um, David Beth probably called like the demonic state, you know, like. Because this is these ideas of like the genus loci of um you know the daemon like of all these things are we're talking about stuff that's you know very deep in the experience of humanity and and everything back to the beginning of you know even before the idea of the spirit and the logos became like the uh, the the primary thing you know what I mean like. And I think that's one 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 thing about this kind of this kind of path is that uh, it's you're connecting with something that's very ancient and um, yes. and connecting with ancient techniques that drive take us back to the very 
beginning. And I think that there's a lot of power in that. And it's global. I mean, every all cultures before this kind of logocentric type of type of spirituality of the became like the dominant one, you know, like um Yes. Was connected to these types of these types of forces. I mean, you could look at you could look at ancient Finnish, you know, spirituality, for example. I mean, this very much connected to to these, particularly like the idea of the genus loci. I mean, there's a, a lot of my research into Finnish mythology. Like, there's very much a emphasis on on the spirits of the woods, and you know what I mean, like all those kinds of stuff. Yes, I, I really relate to that, and. Um... I'm a bit of lost for words here because this is this is so fascinating to hear from somebody else than that than there really are some people who are who are like uh, this connected to these kind of topics as myself and my few colleagues in in Finland. But um, let me think for a moment. <laughs> mm. Yeah, uh, one interesting uh, point came to my mind, which is based on what you just said, is that. If you think about, for example, the daimon, that's from ancient Greece. Um, for example, Sinus loci, that's a all the Roman word or concept, which I I believe the Greeks also knew. I don't know the proper Greek term for that. At catabases and whatever, all of these things are pre-Christian. They are pro, pre-monotheistic, and I th- I think that really gives them so much power than anything which is like. Um, How would you say? What is the uh, um, antithesis for pre-Christian? Like uh, I'm after the monotheistic religions, after after the logocentric or the uh, rise of rationality, and uh, you know that kind of stuff. Maybe Apollonian, if these are somewhat Dionysian. Yeah, and I think that, um, <clears throat> and I think that when you look at a pre-Christian cultures, you know. Um, Like, like you look at the ancient Nordic, like Germanic cultures, like the idea of the daemon is still pretty present within within there. Yes. You know, like and have the idea of the soul complex and the idea of ecstasis is essentially contained within the idea of the woad self. You know what I mean? Like the kind of um, you know uh, woad consciousness, which is this inspired like ecstatic consciousness. You know, like I think you can find these types of concepts like everywhere you know i think african religion has it you know a japanese ancient japanese religion obviously shinto i mean it's all very much about the idea of the genus loci you know what i mean like and um i think that um yeah we're dealing with something before um this kind of um christian um and not just christian but i feel like the beginning of this types of logocentric um consciousness that that I feel in a way is kind of um is kind of kind of enchaining, you know what I mean? Like it's a force that that uh like um it's a type of concept that's like a kind of a pr- imprisoning, it's imprisoning us, you know, in a way. You know what I mean? And and um that's where I break with you know it's funny because there's you know, a lot of a lot of people like say Gnostics or certain types of Satanists or whatever will try to have this Gnostic idea of like, Oh, like material world's evil, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I don't believe that because I think that, uh, can you hear um, me? Yeah. And I, I actually, I got cut out for some odd reason and I'm, I'm back in. Sorry okay. about that. You're right. Did you, uh, what was the last thing that you heard? 
I think I was cut out for some uh, minute or two, and uh, you probably continued speaking and didn't understand that I I wasn't on the online. But oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> maybe if you can start again, sorry, but yeah. you can cut this out. Yeah, one thing that I was saying was that um, I see like this kind of logocentric Christian type of, you know, it's not even just Christian because I do think that the roots of the this kind of imprisoning logocentric um uh force like it's even before the advent of christianity like if you look at say in the middle east like some of the um methods of of like religion that arose there you know what i mean with uh the temple state and all those kinds of stuff was very that's where the roots of this kind of christian um imprisoning type of idea came from you know and i think that um uh, for me, like, I see this force as, like, something that's kind of come into, like, you have this kind of primordial state of being, which, I, like I said, David Beth, like, I know, calls it kind of the demonic, you know, um, demonic self or demonic state of being. And this is a state of being in which we're kind of within the reality and we're connecting with these demonic forces and the enthusing forces and we're like you know we're not like bound by this kind of logocentric type of mentality right and i think that um like unlike say say the gnostics who try to see um reality itself as being like evil you know or or whatever like the kind you know um i think it's like instead that you have this this kind of external force of this logocentric force like coming in and enchaining us right and so um part of part of the path is to reconnect with these demonic forces and kind of like you know um break us free from these kind of prisons of logo logocentricism which is kind of what we can see around us all the time you know like um a lot of what we're seeing nowadays is very much the culmination of this logocentric process in which you have people who are so uh, cut off from from the demonic reality, you know what I mean? Like, and um, I think that um, even within spirituality, you know, you're not spirit, you know, even with like say occultism and stuff, there's a pretty big spectrum of people who still kind of um, follow the kind of almost, you know, they'll call themselves like left-hand path or satanists or different things like this but they're still following the right-hand path kind of logocentric mentality of of um connecting with this kind of logos ego self so much to the point that you're like um trying to or not even ego self but it's trying to like connect with the self that that disconnects you even further from the, from the demonic reality you know what i mean where where they want to just be devoured and you know they just like have this like negative sense of the of 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 reality and the earth and everything like that and you know they want to like you know i mean i think that this kind of path we're talking about is very much an, a kind of adversarial path to even a lot of uh mainstream occultism you know what i mean i definitely know and i'm glad to hear that uh, uh you you told, told me about this i think uh, this uh I think it, it, this is kind of something like being an being an occult control freak, and I think it ties well into this kind of logocentric, uh, ultra rational world we are living in the moment, the secular world. And I think uh, some people, even in the occult sphere, might um, 
might have issues with this kind of uh, concept like sacred fear because that's basically like a bad trip for the ego say for example the psychedelic bad trip the classical ones where you get get this kind of ego death and i think uh, a sacred fear can manage to do some something very similar to that and that is not a pleasant experience by any means especially for people who are uh, who are who hold their egos very dear so to speak yeah and i i think that um there's an irony too where where you have people who proclaim that they're against ego but then they um and that they want to just get devoured into you know they want to like <clears throat> devoured into the light or the void whatever you know whatever symbology they're using they basically want the same thing as supposedly but at the same time these people are usually generally a lot of times more egotistical you know what i mean they want to have control yes. over everything um they want to control themselves, you know, they want to have absolute control over their bodies and their selves and all this. And they think that if I have control over myself, then that will lead me to be able to have control over my destiny or, you know, like it's very, and, um, you know, like I can, I, I understand that, that, that this whole, that, that where that comes from, but I think that it's a trap, you know what I mean? And I think that, uh, it's a test as well, you know. I mean, you have to overcome this types of this type of this type of um, state of being. You know, like I think a lot of people get involved with the kind of occult path may have a period of time in which they're engaged with this type of work, and then they then they realize that if they're if they're smart, they'll realize that that this is maybe not the uh, actually what you're supposed to do. You know what I mean? Like, there's a point in which you have to. I do believe that there's a certain point in your path where you do need to um gain control of yourself in a way and you need to have this kind of experience of alchemically like separating and then you know solve it coagulate you know what i mean where you have to kind of like yes. purify the self and so this whole state of like control over the self and all this these like developing of like mind control and everything like that like is important you know what i mean like uh is important at particularly at the beginning of your path but then there is a certain after a certain point once you develop these skills um, you have, you realize that it's not about having control necessarily. It's about like basically being able to focus. It's about like being aware. It's about connecting with the demonic reality and and actually um, increasing your perception and awareness of the reality around you. And at a certain point, also, it's kind of like um, like um, I even see some like Thomas Carlson says like uh, you rest in the arms of the dragon. Like he says that he doesn't even do like a lot of like magic anymore. I think that is the point where when anybody who's on a genuine spiritual path, it comes to the point where you're like not really doing magic for worldly things. You kind of have developed yourself and you developed your connection to the other side and to the um, demonic reality and everything like that. And, and in that way you're existing like in a very like, um, natural state in the sense and you're not really obsessed with controlling everything anymore like you know what i mean like <laughs> if that makes sense if i'm making sense at all right now yeah yeah i i know what you mean uh, for example it came to my mind if you think about the uh, ancient goetheia i don't probably know how to pronounce that but i mean the greek version the original og version and then there's this goesia of uh, of the demonological demonological version uh, which has of course been impacted by christianity 
and in the latter i believe there is this aspect of controlling and kind of ex extorting the uh, demons or whatever they are and uh, in the original greek shamanistic uh, goesia uh, there was this uh, concept i believe i just got introduced to the greek version um, that there is this interconnectedness and uh, kind of cooperation or coexisting with the with the spirit so to speak and i think this this latter kind of uh, demanding or asking or you know begging something from the uh, demons or whatever spirits I, I think that that's that sounds to me a bit um i don't know the pre proper term now but uh, it it really doesn't sound that evolved you know no yeah and i've always uh, had even yeah. from the beginning of my path i've always had this this concept of um of like developing yourself and your connection to the energy around you and that you know like the um the the you know like like say in runes like you have the runic like i do a lot of runic magic and i so i see the runes as being like these vibrations around us and it's when you connect with these types of the forces of weird around us itself that's where you can actually do i think better you know magic for you know for things if you need to then uh going and like trying to do some like ritual where you, like you're like you know demanding something out of spirit i always found this to be very like distasteful personally you know like the yeah. whole idea of like demanding and constraining and all this stuff i because to me like um um i always like the idea of these forces these you know the demons or the whatever like whatever dark whatever forces are around us um that we connect with should be our our brethren they should be our friends you know i mean um even like anton lavey and the satanic bible like there's like the idea of um of calling them as your brothers you know like they're we're not i'm not like uh seeing these forces as being like something that i'm gonna demand something from you know i mean instead they're forces that i want to connect with to learn from them you know and if i have to do any magic to try to adjust way my life is or if you need something i think it's better to do that with say runes or a sigil or something directly you know directly connecting with 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 the forces of magic around us you know what i mean um yeah yeah and i i do think that um yeah i just think that like yeah i find it very distasteful when people are like uh try to like demand things from spirits you know i just think it's not very nice <laughs> Yeah, it's. I think there's definitely a problem with humility. I mean, the lack of humility in the in the modern occult world, and uh, it's it's so rampant with all kind of all kinds of egoism. And I would say in the pagan world, like the pre-Christian world, uh, people who associated with the spirits, for example, or the spirit world, the summons, and definitely co coexisted with them. And not like uh, being some kind of uh, like a slave master or something like that. And it's 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 somehow so telling that uh, people want all kinds of material games. They want like uh, uh, they want want to have chicks, so to speak, or some kind of money or quick fixes to whatever kind of problems you would be better off like uh, dealing with yourself. Like like you just said, you know, there are better means to that kind of thing, and. Uh, I, th I think sacred horror is is something that if you really manage to connect with the true numinos 
it will really like uh, put you on your knees definitely yeah. and uh, it it will it it would be goddamn like uh, blasphemous even to kind of uh, <laughs> issue some kind of demands or something that would be completely idiotic and completely i i would even say it would be somehow dangerous in the sense that uh, for example if you would uh, stumble upon some like live bear uh, in the forest and you would just uh, put on some magic tricks and say that uh, bow down before me or whatever <laughs> and then then you would get your face beaten off or whatever you know you don't just mess up with the things so much larger and uh, larger than you and uh, they are beyond your um, grasp of your conscious grasp you know it's, yeah it's completely a lack of humanity yeah i agree i mean i think particularly when you're dealing with the idea of sacred horror um you're dealing with something that that is any kind of experience that has this aspect to it, like sacred horror is going to be a transformative experience and then yes. that, that's where i think that that what I, you know i'm talking like i think the best things to do is to go out and have these types of experiences and learn from them and develop yourself and your own being um you know like develop yourself is the best thing you could do i mean the more you develop yourself and and grow yourself and and understand your demonic self and connect with that demonic self and and um that's going to bring you a lot more um benefit in your life than uh than demanding stuff from the spirit you know what i mean in my opinion like i mean i do know that there's people who practice obviously stuff like voodoo and kumbanda where they work with spirits to to attain worldly things but that's because they develop a relationship with these spirits you know and yeah that's the thing too of some of these entities like your first experience may be this profound sacred horror right and and then you can develop a relationship with them, but it's always going to be a state of, um, of, uh, I guess you could say like, there's going to be this, this, this profound start of it, side of it. And you're not going to be demanding something of the spirit. You know what I mean? Like if you develop a relationship with uh, something that has this numinous power, um, you know, you could, you could eventually reach a point where, where, it could help you with certain things, but yeah, and you're not going to be sitting there demanding, you know, and, and I think that's why, like, if you look at the history of people who practice that type of magic, like the kind of um, demanding, constraining spirit stuff, nothing ever good happens to those people. <laughs> if you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, like people who have a proper relationship with spirits and, and, and have a, a respect and an awe and, and, go to them as master as a teacher you know like i practiced aikido for a long time when i was when i was a teenager growing like from a kid to teenager and and you know doing that you know you have learned to be humble right if you do any martial art you learn to be humble you learn to, to learn from your sensei you know what i mean and have the proper respect and i think that is in a very very important part of if you're going to approach the spiritual path that's where you kind of have, I mean, you have to have that attitude. Like they, these forces are ancient. They're older than, than time, you know, like they, and they, um, a lot of times are almost very unhuman, 
but they will teach you and but you have to approach them as that like they're there they're your sensei in a way you know what i mean like you have to have that humbleness yes. and and respect i think that's very important and and i believe that was really something the uh, summons of old had like a reverence and uh, humility and um, they were they they had they knew their place in the kind of ecology e- ecology you know and uh, that's that's really something which is missing in the modern world but if you don't mind uh, i have some notes here which would be beneficial to our listeners who are not uh, that familiar with the concept of sacred horror i have this uh, couple of bar- paragraphs here and i think this really uh, touches upon the things we have uh, dealt uh, before and uh, something we are going to uh, speak about a bit later on yeah go so, ahead okay i'll just uh, read it, read this from my from my notes uh, sacred horror in the context of the nominos refers to a complex emotional response that arises from encountering what rudolf otto the german theologian the person who coined the term nominos called the holy utter this is an experience of something that is entirely outside ordinary experience and understanding often associated with the divine or the supernatural this experience according to otto has two primary components mysterium tremendum and mysterium fascinans mysterium tremendum refers to the ave inspiring overwhelming and even terrifying aspects of the experience which can be thought of as kind of sacred horror. This isn't horror in the sense of fear of tangible threat, but rather a deep awe and fear of the profound mystery and the power of the divine. Mysterium fascinans, on the other hand, refers to the compelling, attractive and fascinating aspects of the divine. These two aspects together capture the complex emotional reaction to the nominos which can be both deeply unsettling and irresistibly compelling at the same time. And to conclude, in this sense, secret horror isn't about fear in conventional sense, but about the profound, sen- profound sense of awe and wonder that can be both terrifying and fascinating. It's about the fear and trembling that comes from standing on the edge of the infinite, infinite and the unknown. This concept is often used in discussions of religious experience, but it can also be applied to other situations where people encounter the profound, the uncanny, and the unexplainable. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's a really perfect, I mean, perfect um, translation of the idea of sacred. I mean, you just explicated it that, like very, very well in that. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Like, I really, I really... I feel like you kind of you got to the 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 heart of the heart of the matter, you know. Like, I think when you were having these types of experiences, like, yeah, they're going to be transformative. They're going to be something that links you to this uncanny night consciousness, this demonic self. You know, like it's 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 something that that is almost hard to. I think for people who haven't had this experience, they might have a hard you know they might understand consciously like particularly with like what you just wrote but uh definitely like if you've had this had these experiences i mean 
then you then you'll understand like even better you know yeah i i think um another like a concept uh, i would like to uh, introduce to your audience which i i believe you are very well familiar with maybe with a different uh, term and uh, this term is just something i stumbled upon like uh, many years ago but only later found out that, that it's actually is a thing it's a like a recognized uh, phenomenon from maybe psychology or or i don't know societal studies or whatever but if you think about the secular world the what we refer to the um the hyper rational modern world it i think it's called consensual reality or consensus reality and it is a term to refer the agreed upon concepts of reality which people in the general society validate and accept as real or at least act as though they are real whether they actually believe in those concepts or not this is often dictated by societal norms cultural perceptions and common understanding of the world in a modern western context consensual reality has been significantly influenced by principles of rationalism and secularism two key intellectual traditions that emerged during the enlightenment era i think uh, that will suffice so basically this kind of uh, straight jacket of uh, rationality and the secular world is basically but most people live in whether they like it or not it's just they have to play along do you agree <laughs> yeah i definitely agree i mean i think uh it's 100% the case you know um yeah. and and f- for some people it's definitely a straight jacket i mean um i think it might have been with the episode with with um Richard and and Nasa did but i think we talk- might have talked about um people who uh or that might have been that one or another one i can't remember but there's one of them where i was talking about people who um um who will have crazy paranormal experiences for example and just like completely rationalize it away because that's not part of their consensual reality you know i mean they just they just close their eyes to it and you'll have like i've met people who've had crazy unexplainable paranormal experiences right and they and if you ask someone do you believe in you know something else they'll go no i don't know you know what I mean? Like they're just like they just like don't even allow new these kinds of experiences to even come in and um transform their sense of reality, right? You know, like and that that's like completely being straightjacketed by by consensual reality. Because if we are actually going to be, you know, if you're gonna live life in a real vital way, you have to allow the experiences that you have to shape your your reality as opposed to just being bound by this consensual reality you know yeah i know i i i think um, in in the gate we are actually we are referring to this kind of um, anti uh, consensual reality phenomenon i mean for example the super rational or the paranormal and whatever you wish to call them i i call them we call them uh, anomalies in the sense that uh, they differ from the norm and uh, they are kind of something which are directly in need of sorry uh, to to be explained uh, away because of the consensual they don't fit in the model of consensual reality and let me say that uh, people don't get the right, wrong idea uh, like nas said that he is a bit of an uh, 
skeptical occultist I am myself because of course I value kind of uh, how, how would you say it like a pragmatic and uh, methodological thinking and uh, I like Gavin said himself that uh, he also relies on the uh, products of science and the modern world for electricity that is not nothing to take away from that kind of world but I think it's too rigid this kind of uh, consensual reality that um, people t- tend to think that uh, whatever uh, scientific um, how would you say uh, advancement we, we have they t- tend to think that they are some kind of uh, like a religion and if you think about um, athe- the militant atheists they are more religious than they would care to admit you know yeah definitely I think it's actually kind of funny because when you're too rigidly um like too rigidly part of this kind of you know um materialistic um consensual reality they're talking about like uh, like too rigidly that you're actually becoming unscientific you know that's where yes. you that's where you become <laughs> scientist scientist because scientism or whatever it's called because yes. it's, um, it's called scientism yes yeah where because scientists scientific actual science is is about an openness to exploring reality right and thus like somebody you know like i'm big you know one thing that i'm really into is like paranormal stuff like i really find all that very fascinating you know i watch like all the paranormal shows and and people who use all these like new tools and stuff like that and i to me that that seems more scientific in the proper sense you know in the same sense that can connect with the occult realities as well you know because you're actually open to the possibility of things not you know and not just sitting there saying that we know everything like this stuff's a bunch of bullshit you know what i mean like yeah. um type of mindset that a lot of people have and um i think that that that's where a lot of things kind of go wrong you know in, in the past like you know science science and the occult were kind of connected you know what i mean like almost every every yeah yeah, almost every um almost every major scientist back in the beginning of of the formation of what we know as science today was also involved with alchemy or you know occult occult studies or spirit you know just like um whatever you know like they're all like say like um newton for example you know he was an alchemist he you know studied like the all the mysteries and everything like that and and the scientific side of that was part of that you know and it's all about the discovery of these kind of hidden forces that that around us and um so yeah i think that i do believe in being um pragmatic in the sense that um I think we'd have to develop our, I think the greatest tool we have in, in is our, is actually our bodies. So a big part of like cleanse that whole idea of like cleansing the self and taking kind of control of the mind and all those types of things that you have to do on the occult path at the beginning is important to kind of clear your senses so that you can have a better receiver. Right. And a lot of like, like if you're having a real true experience, be it a paranormal one, uh, a numinous sacred horror type experience, an experience of a true communication of an entity. There are certain signs that you learn 
are real are re, you know certain signs of like your physical body even right you know if you're actually very clear and you're not like muddled you know what i mean like um that will show you that you're having a genuine experience there's also general generally um a, a lot of times um external verification because it's the way that like synchronicity and um and and reality works it's like uh just, i can't tell you how many times i've had communications with certain entities and then um you know not too long after that i get this like um intuitive urge to buy a book you know and i open the book i read it and all of a sudden it's verifying the information that the entity taught me you know like yes. that's happening all the time and that's that's because i can follow intuition i think following that intuitive demonic self like the daemon speaks through an intuition when you open yourself up to intuition and you trust your intuition and the more you trust your intuition the more powerful it gets the more powerful your response system and your body is to all these things i mean this is to me very much um um the pathway to having like very real experience you know experiences and and everything you know yeah i think this is a very interesting and uh, how to say complex topic that uh, i think the main problem is that the, the scientists it's not sorry sorry of course not sci the scientists but the people who are into the scientism as science as a religion they of, often are not they of course are not scientists themselves and uh, they are just like a cherry pick all, all the things they they like and uh, then they act like some kind of gatekeepers to what is real and what is not and uh, this obsession of of like uh, like almost um, I would say hysterically to find natural explanations to whatever animals one might uh, come across is is a bit telling and uh, I have a couple of interesting takes on this uh, I must um, quote uh, Thomas Ligotti the famous American uh, horror author because he has this very like uh, this is this is so sly and clever like uh, from, uh, I think this is this is from the Teatro Grotesco uh, book or was it a novel collection? And this really like uh, is making bit bit of fun of the both worlds we are, we were talking about. So if you will, I can uh, just uh, paraphrase this. Yeah, yeah. Or this is actually verbatim because this is <laughs> reading it straight from the screen. This is this is so clever. Uh, such speculation, however, was of no interest to my father, who strongly objected to the possibility of spooks or spirits of any kind, or even the use of these terms. There is nothing in the attic, he explained to me. It's only the way your way that your head is interacting with the space of that attic. There are certain fields or forces that are everywhere, and these forces, for reasons unknown to me as yet, are potentiated in some places more than others. Do you understand? The attic is not haunting your head. Your head is haunting the attic. Some heads are more haunted than others, whether they are haunted by ghosts or gods or by creatures from outer space. These are not real things. Nonetheless, they are indicative of real forces, animating and even creative forces, which your head only conceives to be kind of spook or God, who knows what. Did you 
grasp the end, how he kind of pulls the carpet be, um, like below your feet. Yeah, that's quite. I, I remember yeah. that 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 quote from the, from <laughs> that story. It's kind of it's kind of a funny I think because it's like um, it's like uh, at the same time saying that it's not real than saying it's real. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. like that's what I mean. Yes. Yeah, and I would say that the truth is that there are forces out that exist that are for real in my experience and that there is a certain aspect to it where the way that that takes shape is actually generated through your head you know what i mean so i think the yes. truth is somewhere in between what he's saying actually you know yes and it's it's definitely clear that uh, our whole like a uh, concept or understanding or experience of reality is basically a, like a um, hallucination created by your brain that's that's i think it's it's quite even scientific in the sense that uh, we only see like uh, some spectrum of the light and colors and whatnot you know the people's grasp of reality is not the total uh, totality of of the reality out there it's just some kind of uh, abstraction for ecological purposes of course and um, if you still if you still uh, bear with me because I, I i think i have a like a clever um metaphor to to really like uh, deliver this concept of sacred horror to to our listeners uh, I, this is actually from the dr martin locker this is his um, kind of um, solution to the problem and i think the problem is that people don't um tend to grasp what the sacred horror the numinos would be so if you will i can just uh, say like from my top of my head because i have uh, i have said this um, same story in my own podcast a couple yeah, of times on. yeah this is this is great this is excellent and thanks for dr martin so basically um, this is like um, uh, how would you say like um, yeah, this is something you you can imagine in your head, like a story, interactive story. And uh, say you think that uh, you are like um, some kind of head scientist, uh, perhaps uh, like a, a researcher of exoplanets or some kind of uh, um, linguist or something. Uh, you work for NASA and you are you are basically half retired now and you are sleeping tight in your own bed. And then you get a call, of, say, around uh, 4 a.m. in the morning, and uh, it's your director, and uh, he, he says that it's called Tread. Something something really important, dangerous, is, is happening. And uh, he has already sent, uh, like, a helicopter or a car to pick you up, and uh, you know you must comply because this is this is huge. Maybe uh, like uh, asteroid is is going to impact the Earth in say a couple of years or something level of magnitude, and uh, then you <laughs> go to the car and uh, it's night and uh, you are thinking what the hell is happening and you're both excited and terrified, and uh, you finally get to the base or the kind of some kind of paramilitary <laughs> NASA base like a secret base or something and uh, you get to the elevator and then there's there are armed guards everywhere and everybody is looking very solemn and um, uneasy and uh, you finally go to some kind of bunker you have never been before because that's 
for example, class five classified level stuff, <laughs> and and you you go to some kind of um, if you know this. Um, quarantines places they do when they deal with some very dangerous viruses like ebola or something and you have to put on some kind of like a biohazard suit or something and before that you have to sign an ndi which is very long with many pages and you really know that this is this is big this is really really uh, like scary and uh, then before that um, this uh, kind of vault which is closed before your eyes. There is a psychologist of NASA, and uh, he or she says that uh, what you are about to experience will alter your like uh, concept of reality for the rest of your life. And uh, basically, you you cannot um, you cannot decline at this point anymore because you know too much. But he d definitely uh, says that this is this is big and this is really this might be like a psychologically damaging even for you but this is something you have to do just bear in mind that you are in for a ride and you still don't have any fucking clue what is what is really happening and uh, then the vault is opened and you are in your biohazard suit and uh, then the vault closes before behind you and you are in some kind of uh, weird space like an open space and um, then from the speakers, um, because nothing has happened yet, it's just an empty space. Uh, you, you, they finally tell you what is happening. They have find some kind of extraterrestrial, like an actual um, uh, alien entity, which is not. It is unlike anything you have seen in the movies. For example, some kind of uh, uh, gray humanoid or whatever. It's not. It doesn't resemble any any life form uh, in the planet Earth, and uh, it is said to be like a um, thousand times more intelligent and uh, powerful than anything uh, like a carbon-based life forms you could ever think of. And uh, there is this countdown from. <laughs> from 10 to 0 and uh, during the time of the 0 they uh, revealed they, they dropped the curtains for example there's this apocalyptic uh, moment and then you finally see whatever that is I'm not even going to imagine it myself but imagine the, the fear and the excitement and the sacred horror this kind of uh, level-headed uh, scientist would feel because this is something which might theoretically happen one day that is like a part of the science and nasa of course has this seti uh, um, um, program search for extraterrestrial intelligence i think it's called and um, because of of course we have now uh, quantum uh, physics and uh, uh, astronomy has has made big um, advancements this kind of thing is of course quite um, unbelievable and rare but that might happen and that would be the best uh, way to th i would think that the uh, science-based person would get an idea of what it would be to uh, encounter the holy other and sorry about the long explanation but i hope you got it no, yeah, that's great. I mean, it, it's very much like the kind of Lovecraftian, yes, um, idea. You know what I mean? And and I do, I do have a. I've always had this feeling that um, 
even the idea like we call like spirit or spiritual i i kind of come to a point where i don't really like sing calling things spiritual as much because it gives people the wrong idea and also with the kind of idea of of Klages and david best with the idea of the spirit being this force that that separates us from our body and our soul you know i kind of really like this yeah. idea because i also think that a lot of what we're talking about is not some you know woo woo new age thing happening like on some other plane of existence entirely from us it's it's here with us you know like you're saying yeah, it's imminent. like yes imminent like you're saying like our our conscious our, our view our eyesight for example um for most people um is not you know able to see like say the not you're not able to see everything around us at all times right i mean there's there's spectrums of light that we cannot perceive there's magnetic forces there's things and i feel like the the imminent like the kind of demonic level of reality where these these forces these entities exist is is around us and it does operate maybe on a kind of dimensional level in the sense that um they're operating on maybe you know a, a different a slightly different you know they're they're operating in a in a different way than than say we are here right now right but at the same time it's connected to where we are right now and i do think that there's always a possibility of science to develop tools to the point where this this is revealed and it might already have happened we there might be um on some level scientists where they know that okay yeah like this this level of 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 reality where around us all times where there's these entities and stuff is is in existence you know it's it's for real but they don't want to like reveal that information you know what i mean they might have tools to to see that already and that's why i'm saying like our bodies and our con, con we can our consciousness is able to to kind of transform ourselves to the point where we're so in tune with this demonic reality where we can sense these forces we can um they can can communicate with us through our our inner vision, you know, like, and, and some people even, I think, have the ability to see these things, you know, I have friends who really have very striking abilities to see things around them, you know what I mean? Like, almost with their own eyes, you know? And so it's yes. like, um, yeah, the more you develop these, these things, the more you develop yourself, you're able to connect to this stuff. But I don't think it's like some type of woo woo, like new agey, like, um, peaceful thinking and yeah, it's not naive. Yeah. Na yeah. Naive idea of, oh, the like, spirit world, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, no, the spirit world is here with us. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I think uh, I mentioned um, quantum physics. And of course, I don't know anything actually about the thing. And uh, I don't think anybody aside from the scientists themselves have, have a, like a good grasp on that kind of thing. But I, I, I know, oh, I at least remember that the uh, quantum physics physics experiments have uh, kind of revealed i would think at least theoretically that the uh, information ca can uh, how to say can go from like backwards in time which is like a completely uh, like a, 
I would you say it's it's a device the laws of physics so to speak and the tendency is for example um, in astronomy there have been talks about the, the possibilities of uh, like parallel di- parallel dimensions that kind of at least theoretical stuff which are studied upon which is completely psychedelic and com- it would sound completely bonkers to the people of like uh, 30 years ago for example the black holes I think it was Stephen Hawkins and some other scientists or astronomists who had a bet that do they exist at all. And I think it was uh, Richard Hawkins who lost the bet himself. And he was like one of the best. So we don't have any idea about what kind of revelations might be uh, in the, we might witness in our lifetime still. But uh, I, I would just... Uh, Uh, how to say that uh, this kind of i i really hate that kind of uh, new age wishful thinking and uh, i don't have i don't want to have anything to do with that but yeah you yeah. got my and, point yeah and i i think that that anybody who's involved with the ideas of sacred horror and the numinous and you know demonic self and all these ideas we're talking about like is definitely this like the anti-new age <laughs> you yeah. know what i mean like it's like in of itself it is it is Yeah, like um, you know, all this stuff for Satanism, like dark, like spirituality, draconian spirituality, all this stuff, like it's very anti, anti New Age, you know, because it's it's engaging with with forces that that I people I think would be afraid to even um, interact with. I mean, like you know, like why do people are afraid of this these ideas? You know, they don't want to experience these things. That I think there's a certain type of person who who is drawn to this and um and who's transformed by it you know what i mean i i definitely know and um i think this is more like uh, if if we contrast this to the new age yeah i think we are actually like following an, an ancient tradition more like than inventing something from my our own heads you know this is not uh, that kind of eclectic you know yeah peaceful thinking and whatnot which is rampant in the modern world of course and uh, but but the, the good thing is that people can um, get from new age like entry level stuff the more uh, potent <laughs> potent material like uh, if they just keep keep on digging that is a good thing i think but yeah. but if you if you like uh, if you are left in the new age field forever that's that's not a good thing at all yeah no i th- i think that It's like with Wicca, stuff like that. Like, I feel like for a lot of people, particularly, you know, 20 years ago or whatever, you know, like in the 90s, early 2000s, I mean, that was like the kind of stuff that got people involved. And, but, um, you know, like, because that's what was available, you know, like uh, yeah. publishers like Leatherlin or, you know, and I mean, and even Leatherlin released some like really good books, like um, one of the books that really, was impactful for me was one called uh nocturnicon by constantinos you know like which had a lot of yeah, real... i remember the guy <laughs> yeah that that book nocturnicon felt like him being a little bit more like let off the leash because you know his earlier books felt a little bit more like like he was trying to follow like their likes you know what they wanted but that nocturnicon book really opened my eyes at a very young age to the whole idea of like the magic of the void like direct magic with these these you know, abyssic type of forces and all those types of stuff. And I mean, so even back then you could find some books that, that had real, this kind of magic more so 
but uh, it was definitely um, in a minority and it was difficult. And I, but I think a lot of people got into all this stuff, maybe through new age, maybe through Wicca, et cetera. And then like, I always, I always personally did not like Wicca very much. It always kind of like had my bullshit meter was set off by a lot of Wicca stuff. So I never really um, engaged with that, that really, but um, I kind of went more to runes and, and then finding like stuff like Nocturnicon or uh, Lieber Null by, by, by Peter Carroll was another one. And yes, like that. Um, but I do think that what we're talking about here is definitely engaging with a deeper, more ancient level of um, it's a it's it's a it's a kind of interrupted level, but it's always been there under the surface, and it's this this type of magic. I definitely think um, engages with the very primordial level, and so it's not. I don't really see it as inventing anything. Really, it's more like uncovering. Um, something that's kind of been uh, pushed into the uh, pushed under by uh, the kind of logocentric type of occult systems, you know. Definitely, it's it's like uh, we are uh, unearthing the ancient uh, museum of these kind of things, and uh, so that I, I don't forget uh, one because I'm I'm very strict on on the etymology and uh, like uh, people. Re- I think it's a good service to kind of, uh, how, do, how would I say, share your noses on, 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 on these kind of things to other people as well. And uh, I think uh, one, um, one term we mentioned uh, with uh, Numinos and uh, Mysterium Tremendum, or at least I think it, it, this is more related to the databases. It, it's called Monstrum. And uh, if you will, I, can, I have a note here, because this is a good uh, summary. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the word monstrum is la- Latin, Latin in its origin and refers to a monster, omen, or portent. Its etymology stems from the Latin verb monstrate, which means to sow or to warn. The term monstrum has been historically used to describe unusual, terrifying, or supernatural creatures that were often seen as omens or warnings of some impending danger or disaster. Over time, the meaning of the word has evolved, and its English counterpart, the monster, is now generally used to describe any creature or thing that is large, frightening, or grotesque. And this is also the root for for money, which is quite a kind of weird. But uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, there must be this connection there, I guess. But uh, yeah, I think the idea of the monster is important, and you know, like. Um... I always like Richard Govin's idea of uh, realizing the monstrous soul. You know, it's like yes. connecting with these things, and and um, you know, I like his idea of the benighted and the benighted path, and that you're connecting, realizing the monstrous soul through connecting with the eidolon, you know, and um, and connecting with these forces. And like like I was saying before, connecting with these forces, particularly if you're connecting with things that are unhuman or monstrous in a way um and integrating with these forces and become you know like um really i think uh is part of is it important to the path because you're, you're transforming yourself you know i always look at the catabasis of the sense of like entering the labyrinth you know like yeah um you enter that labyrinth and you get to the center and there's the minotaur or the dragon or whatever it is and this path is not about 
killing the monster it's about becoming the monster in a way you know what i mean it's yes like, it's definitely yeah and then you come out of the labyrinth and you and the monster are kind of um one you know this is yeah see it's, i i most definitely know what you're talking about it's it's like uh like i'm hearing myself talking to myself it's it's <laughs> quite uncanny and you know this is fascinating that you mentioned that uh in that instead of uh, like uh the hero slaying the monster in the labyrinth or the in the catabases in the cave or whatever he's kind of like uh, becoming the monster or integrating it and what comes out of the catabases from the anabases to to when he's um, embarking uh, to the surface surface um, is like a hero and the monster integrated and that's not some that is not like a delusion of the monster or the hero but that's something else i think that's uh, directly like initiation and that's like uh, some latter part of the initiation maybe yeah. it's happened after your middle ages you know the jungian individuation process yeah i i would say that if you begin your process like begin your initiation and part of that first initiation is like kind of the um a lot of it is 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 that kind of like the beginning stages of kind of cleansing your perceptions you know gaining control of your mind that kind of stuff like to connect with the demonic self and and then at a certain point and like deep deprogramming yourself from from you know a lot of the societal and religious programming all this kind of stuff like you go through this whole process and then then it's engaging with this then at a certain point you have to start engaging with this type of you know chaos you know this type of this type of element and and then after i think the catabases the labyrinth and kind of um integration of the monster that occurs kind of in the negretto process i would say you know like you're, you're kind of yes you know that's that's a, that's a central part of the negretto when you when you develop yourself to a certain point that now you have to go through to solve a Calagula and you, you know, burn yourself to ashes and enter the wasteland and, you know, go to the abyss and the, the labyrinth and all those types of stuff. Like, um, that's where that, I mean, at least in my experience, that's where I had this experience of kind of spiritually entering the labyrinth, you know, and connecting with the, you know, and, um, uh, ironically, the catabasis part was easier for me, but the of of this process, the negretto, but the anabasis part was a bit more difficult. Like re 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 exiting that, like as an integrated, and then coming back to your full to your power or whatever. You know what I mean? Like to yourself and and having everything integrated, I think is actually a bit more difficult. You know, and um, it is. but it is. but I think um, yeah, I mean once that process is done and you kind of come back to normal to reality in a way or whatever you want to call it like um once you kind of the anabasis is finished and you're this kind of like integrated monstrous cell soul you know like i think that um that's very powerful and that's actually where you that's and all of a sudden the the magic the path begins again you know what i mean like the yeah. there's not there's not it's, no such thing as a as a, just a vertical ladder it's more like a cycle of ever growing you know like you begin you go through this whole process and then you have to begin again you know what i mean but this time you're different you're you know you've you've connected to the monster and actually in a way your path really begins then all that other stuff which could take years and years all that other stuff is just the beginning of the path you know <laughs> yeah i think 
yeah, th- this is really something that people, it would be nice that uh, some people would grasp that uh, I think this is related to the humility aspect that, that you are not done. Your work is not done. I mean, like uh, rhetorically speaking now. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. It's, it's like, never yeah. done. Yeah, it's never done. Yeah. I think, <laughs> I think that it's just an internal cycle and hopefully you're growing each time. It's kind of like a serpent, like um, having Ouroboros. growing and having to shed its skin. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. gross, like, um, and particularly when connecting with the draconian like telluric like um these types of chthonic powers i mean definitely it's definitely like a, a serpent like you grow and then you have to shed your skin and then each time you shed your skin is it's in its own way its own catabasis and um and negretto and it it's never it's not like there's no such thing as crossing the abyss and then it's done and then you're like you know like yeah. it's kind of it's kind of um it's kind of nonsense you know it's it's a constant integration of the abyss and the constant um you know cycle of transformation and growth and transformation and growth and you know like at least and yeah and definitely you have to have humility that like you're never there's never you're not there's no like uh it's not like ascending a ladder and then oh now i'm here and now now <laughs> i'm like you know whatever like a god or whatever it is <laughs> just like all yeah. nonsense you know <laughs> yeah you you don't get to cash in you know you don't get to retire <laughs> no yeah even and even i think in death it's not a re- you don't retire it's it's just a new transformation you know yeah no rest for the wicked <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> but hey man, um, um yeah what are you gonna say yeah uh, uh, uh how much uh, time we have left I'm, I'm not in a hurry myself but you said that you have some appointments after this yeah because i have a couple of interesting topics that uh I think we would need to inject uh, before we end this discussion. So how much time did you have left? With this um, we can probably go another like 10 or 15 minutes. Okay, yeah. Okay, 10. Yeah, okay. I, I think uh, John Verweck, uh, the Canadian um, philosopher and uh, researcher, I don't know, he's a field of study, but uh, maybe cognitive sciences or something, and uh, I think he's related to Jordan Peterson, and uh, he has released this um, series of lectures called uh, Awakening from the Meaning Crisis, and I think it was in episode uh, 30, 34, he, he was speaking actually about uh, nominos, and, and I think I have also sent you the link before, and uh, this, I have made a like, um, um, transcript from the from the program and he has a very good takes and uh, I think I could just point out a few of few of his ideas. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. He, says, yeah. he argues he, he argues that the sorry. Yeah, he suggests that the sacredness functions as a meta meaning system that provides a worldview attunement protecting us from the horror. And uh, he also, let me just uh, say this verbatim, uh, Verweig then introduces the concept of the numinos as proposed by Rudolf Otto. The numinos is described as, this is very important, pre-moral aspect of sacredness characterized by its mystery, fascination and horror. He suggests that the numinos, and this is also very important, 
the numinous is transgressive, taking us into the heart of experiences that border on horror. And he provides examples from everyday life, such as the slowing down to look at a car accident, and from fiction, such as the horror experience in Stanley Kubrick's film The Signing. He suggests that these experiences of horror are linked to the loss of grip on reality and the confrontation with the mystery of death. And he said, this is also good. Verve concludes by suggesting that the Numinous puts us into a contact with something much greater than ourselves, which exists independently of us. This confrontation is designed to expose us to horror in contrast to the worldview attunement provided by the concept of sacredness, which homes us against horror. And uh, he suggests that the two, these two aspects of the sacredness represent meta-assimilation and meta-accommodation, respectively. This is a bit repetition, but uh, you get the idea. Yeah, I, I like that a lot, actually. I think yeah. um, it's almost like um, the idea of sacred horror would be kind of like those two things combining together. You know, it's like where you have this horror, this numinous horrific experience, but then it's also sacred at the same time, you know? <laughs> yeah, and I find it very exhilarating and uh, important that uh, this kind of person who is way more intelligent and uh, academically uh, like um, experienced person, and uh, I think he's quite known in his own field, and he's basically, I would refer him as kind of a scientist, is speaking about these kind of things. So maybe don't take this from me, but take it from uh, Professor John Verveik, you know. And uh, it's like uh, mo many of these things we are studying and practicing really have, like, um, how would you say, good prestige, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I think that these things are, are um, you know, I think there is a spectrum of, um, of, uh, of study of uh, of um even academically of people who who are engaged with these types of things as well more so than even some of the other things because i think these ideas are actually more i guess um very much like um they're there they're in the historical record they're there like in the ideas of rudolf Adel and and yes. so many people and um that i think that is a little bit more uh um I don't know. It's hard to, I'm not sure what the word I'm trying to say, but it's like, um, it's type of thing where it connects a lot more with certain types of particularly depth psychology. Um, you know, like people like James Hillman, uh, even yes, Hillman Hillman like, great. Yes. yeah, like it connects a lot more with certain things that are actually more, uh, a kind of an undercurrent in the academy outside of the, um, outside of the kind of, uh, scientist, you know, scientism type of, spectrum of the academy you have this other side of people work operating in these things and they particularly within depth psychology and stuff like that they they understand these kind of concepts very well i mean i have a book uh, about the black sun i forget the author but it's a um, depth psychology book um and i mean it's amazing like i mean this guy is basically talking about a lot of the same things we're talking about as well you know and um, yes i can't like i'd have to the books over there but <laughs> um if people look up the black sun there's um let me let me actually real quick i just want because i want to recommend this book to people um because it relates to all this stuff as well let me look real quick um oops 
Um, oh, fuck. <laughs> like, all right, there we go. Okay, let's look this okay. up. Um, not Christiva. Oh, here it is. The Black Sun, The Alchemy and Art of Darkness by Carolyn and Ernest Fay. So this uh, or, or it's, oh, no, it's Ernest Fay series. Uh, Stanton Mar- Marlin is the author. So Okay. Uh, yeah, Stanton Marlin is the author. Uh, I highly recommend this book. It's on Amazon. Um, well, it looks like it's out of print again. It was in print for a little bit, but uh, there is an audio book you can get and a Kindle. Um, but uh, yeah, this book is uh, is incredible, and uh, it's talking a lot about the idea of the black sun and um, dealing with the idea of like um, instead of seeing these this this type of this type of force, this type of dark force, and all this type of darkness and all these things as being something to overcome, it's seeing it as something to engage with and immerse yourself in and get and integrate with and and use as a source of power and um and 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 um you know and inspiration and stuff like that which i think is very interesting you know yeah like um using mysterium tremendum as kind of like a testing stone or some kind of cathartic you know and i'm not speaking of this in some kind of uh how how would you say uh this is not like a bragging of doing some kind of stupid stunts you know doing doing something you know uh, like a, this is not like a not a some kind of version of jackass, you know. And uh, <laughs> I think I, it's completely the opposite. And people might think some people actually might think that we, if we are talking about sacred horror, this is like a, a doing some macho level uh, bullshit or whatever that kind of. It's not. A, what is the? This is not like a daredevil stuff at all. This is compl- This is this is like a very different and much more sublime and much more like uh, d- deeper than any kind of you know. Uh, some people might think that uh, if you watch some kind of shocking horror movies, that is akin to sacred horror, but it's not. Sacred horror is is different. Don't you think? Yeah, definitely. I mean, sacred horror is uh is a numinous experience you know like um certain authors definitely can connect with that or certain there are certain movies that maybe can can evoke this feeling somewhat but um it's definitely not like uh a um it's not something yeah like just shocking like you're not gonna get this out of watching a movie or something like the best best thing to do is you know, depending on what it is your work you're you want to do, but I mean, I think Richard Gavin gave the idea of like going to somewhere like um, like an abandoned building or uh, deep in the woods somewhere, or you know, like doing this kind of experience where you go out into a place where you're you know connecting directly with some type of genus loci or some type of force, or doing a a work magical working in this type of this type of um, environment i think that's one the best way for people to go out and actually have an understanding of what we're talking about you don't have to do that but i think for some people that's probably the best gateway to open up you know like um the gateway to the underworld wherever is in these types of places you know you just have to like for some people it might be important for them to go out and challenge themselves in that way just to go someplace that's going to strip them away of some of their their um i guess 
uh, armor that we develop in the kind of uh, the kind of you know material world, yeah. you know, whatever. The faculties. Yeah, and go yeah. out into somewhere that gives you a kind of a haunted place or a place that gives you kind of a uh, eerie feeling and do a magical working there. And uh, I think for some people that might be the best thing. I mean, because you can have these experiences like in your own temple at your home, you can have these experiences as eruptions out of nowhere, you know, You but the best way to go about it is to, to open that gateway is to go somewhere like that. I think I would agree with Richard in that, in that way. Yeah, definitely. I I, I think uh, just to like uh, rephrase my words a bit, like when I was talking about horror movies, I was of course uh, speaking about uh, horror movies have uh, have has this kind of uh, shock value, you know, t- uh, gore and this kind of stuff is not sacred horror. But for no. example, if one would give a good hint for a bit of a, like a mainstream horror movie which has numinos and sacred horror themes, I would definitely refer to the hereditary that was an experience and uh, yeah definitely. maybe maybe some others as well i don't remember them right now but i think the element of like uh, to or element of ecstasy in the sense that there maybe maybe if i just uh, uh, read my notes like a proper like um, if you still have some time the yeah, meaning of the ecstasy we are, we are talking about because this is like i always tend to preach this is this has nothing to do with uh, drugs ecstasy of course and this is not uh, some kind of hedonistic ecstasy you get from eating chocolate or or, or kind of some kind of hedonistic like uh, sex and this kind of uh, modern type of activity one would associate with ecstasy you know this is this is different uh, let me just uh, read a couple of paragraphs the greek term ecstasis Ecstasis literally translates as standing outside oneself or being beside oneself and is derived from the verb existemi, which means to displace or to put out of place. In ancient Greek culture, ecstasis referred to a state where an individual's mind was not in its normal condition, and this could be due to various causes, such as intense emotion, religious fervor, this is divine madness, or divine inspiration. In this, in its original context, ecstasy was often associated with religious and mystical experiences, where the individual was uh, believed to be in direct communion with the divine. This could involve prophetic visions, ecstatic dances, or poetic inspiration, where the individual was seen as being possessed or inspired by a god or divine entity. In this state, the individual's normal consciousness was displaced, allowing them to transcend their ordinary perception of reality and achieve a deeper, more direct understanding of the divine and the nature of existence. There's one mention of, uh, for example, in the Eleusinian mysteries, in an ancient Greek religious ritual, initiates were believed to achieve a state of ecstasy where they directly perceived the mysteries of life and death. Similarly, the Dionysian rituals, participants uh, would engage in ecstatic dances and other practices that induced a state of ecstasy allowing them to commune with the Dionysus, the god of wine and ecstasy. And then there's the last 
last um, paragraph, which is good point. However, ecstasy wasn't only associated with religious or mystical experiences. It could also refer to any state where the mind was displaced from its normal condition, such as an intense emotional experience or in certain forms of mental illness. In all these cases, the common element is idea of standing outside oneself or of transcending the boundaries of ordinary consciousness to perceive deeper and more profound reality. And let me just add that I think um, if one would have this kind of, uh, if one would want to wrestle or kind of uh, battle, so to speak, with uh, in a, in a, some kind of childish way, the sacred horror, thinking that it's some kind of monster you should overcome, over overcome or something, and. I think that's completely beside the point. And uh, the main idea is that to get so in a, such an ecstatic state that you completely forget that whatever skills or whatever, how like uh, how, how much muscle do you have in your body or whatever, it, it will completely transcend that kind of stuff. And the point is that you would get so like uh, thrown out of yourself that... Uh, you would experience this kind of sacred horror if you catch my drift. Yeah, exactly. No, that's great. And I think that that really um, sets out very clearly the kind of, you know, what we're talking about. You know, it's, uh, yeah. you know, you have this, and the sacred horror can be the opening of the gate that leads to this ecstasis and you, and then you have transformation and, and yeah, it's about connecting and, and communicating with these monstrous, like sacred horror, horrific type of forces and um, transforming yourself. And, you know, it's not about uh, killing the monster or anything. And yeah, I mean, I would say, well, definitely, we definitely need to do a part two because there's so much more <laughs> yeah, that I need yeah. to talk, I want to talk about. So, um, but unfortunately I have to close it out, you know? <laughs> yeah, I understand. Uh, this was a, quite a package. Yeah, this is great. And uh, yeah, I, uh, we'll have to do a part two here soon, actually. And Yeah, definitely. Um, so people can uh, can get, get even, you know, there's a lot more that I want to talk about. So yeah, same here. Same here. Um, but yeah, I would definitely tell people to, I'm going to have all the links to everything for, for um, so they can connect with, with the pod, with your podcasts and with, with, uh, with, um, Tony Porti and everything like that and um, hopefully uh, people enjoy this. Yeah, thank you. It was a delight. Yeah, I really thank you very much, Constantine. Appreciate it. And we'll we'll do uh, we'll do a part two here soon. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, good night to you. You too. Thank, thank you, Constantine. Thanks. Bye.